0: Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So, kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. I missed you guys last week. Did you miss me? Have you ever noticed uh, that kids ask the best questions? Like, don't get me wrong, uh, they also ask terrible questions, right? Like, how many times have you answered the question why in your collective lives here? Like, 5.6 million or so, right? (laughs) But sometimes kids do just ask the most amazing things, mostly because they're thinking is not constrained by or conformed to, like, the logical boundaries that we place around our world. Also, they have no fear of sounding foolish or silly, so they just wonder things, and then they express it. It just comes out of their mouth. So a few years ago at the church that I served prior to being here, I was standing outside of the worship space with my boss Our senior pastor, his name was Jason. And, you know, we were just welcoming people into worship like we did. And a sweet little girl was walking by with her parents. And they stopped. And the parents said to the little girl, they said, Do you want to ask Pastor Jason your question? And so she just looked up at him and said, in the sweetest and most sincere voice, Pastor Jason, when is God's birthday? And I just kind of looked over at him and gave him the face like, good luck with this one, sucker. (laughs) But he looked down at her and he said, well, we, we celebrate God's birthday on Christmas, which was probably a pretty smart deferral, probably better than what I would have said. But this little girl was not fooled by such simple adult tactics. She said, no, Pastor Jason, that's Jesus's birthday. To which he responded something like, Well, God doesn't really have a birthday because God has always existed. And I'm not 100% sure that she was very satisfied with that answer, but she did say thank you, and she moved along to Sunday school with something really big to think about. And we both walked away feeling thoroughly not convinced that this was a good enough answer for her very big question. But you know, like, Sunday morning is a really hard time to do on-the-spot theological work that's digestible for a five-year-old, okay? So, like, that's just the way it is. But that answer that he gave, God has always existed, points to one of the most fundamentally important and distinct aspects of, like, our Judeo-Christian theology. The fact that God has no start and God has no end. God is eternal. God has always existed. And just how important is this reality? Well, we're going to find out that it's actually critically important. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the names that are given to God and particularly looking at how those names tell us a very important truth about who God is. Is You see, in the ancient world, and particularly in our Bibles, names are not arbitrary. Names are important. Names are delib- deliberate. Names are adjectives. They are descriptors that point us to the fundamental truth about the person or entity being named. So last week, while I wasn't here, Pastor Jeff was here, and he talked about the name El Roi, which means the God who sees me. The Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, who, by the way, her name means the immigrant or the foreigner, believed that God could see her plight and would make things right for her. And so she called on God, using the name, the God who sees me, to come and protect her from her circumstances. And this God is the same God who announced himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, or God Almighty, the God of the cosmic mountain, the God who created all that is and will ever be. And so these two names that we've gone over are going to lead us up to our next name for God. So we have all seen that God is both All the all-powerful creator of the cosmos and also a very personal God who sees the plight of his people. And these are very important realities that build to what we learn is the personal name of God. So many, many years after the time that Abraham and Hagar spoke with God, the descendants of Abraham find themselves in slavery down in In the nation of Egypt. Which is kind of ironic because this is a bit of a role reversal since Abraham, their forefather, had Egyptian slaves. It's not really important to the story, I just think it's kind of a uh, bit of a role reversal. And so the family of Abraham, now being called the Israelites or the Hebrews, are being oppressed greatly by their Egyptian overlords, and in particular by the king of Egypt, a man named Pharaoh. And then suddenly things begin to change. A baby is born. It's not Jesus. Not yet. Sounds kind of familiar, though, for the season, right? So a baby is born, a Hebrew boy who's named Moses. And now Pharaoh has issued in a, a decree that all of the, the males born to the Hebrew people must be put to death. But miraculously, Moses is spared, and not only spared, but is saved by Pharaoh's daughter himself and raised inside of the Egyptian palace. However, when he grows up, he becomes an enemy of the state, after he strikes and kills one of the guards who was beating on a Hebrew slave. And so what Moses does is he runs into the wilderness and he hides out there, eventually meeting a woman in the land of Midian. He marries her and then becomes kind of a shepherd. And that's where we are going to pick up our story. And this comes from uh, Exodus chapter 3, right at the beginning, verse 1. It says, So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. And he looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And so right here, we've got a bit of a strange deal, right? Like, Moses is just out keeping his father-in-law's sheep, trying to keep a low profile, since he's a wanted man back in Egypt, and he finds himself confronted by a supernatural occurrence. A bush that is burning, but is not being consumed. And this burning bush, we know, is the physical manifestation of this character who was called throughout the Old Testament the angel of the Lord. And this is not a normal angel. This is how the Hebrew people expressed the personal and physical embodiment of their God. The angel of the Lord is God in physical form. And so God comes and speaks directly with Moses and says, Hey, I'm the God of your ancestors. The one that your people, the the Hebrew people, talk about. The one that your people cry out to. And then the text goes on to verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. Sounds a lot like El Roai, the God who sees, right? I see my people. I have heard them. I know them. I know their circumstances. He continues on in verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians... To bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. El Shaddai, God Almighty, a God who is capable of creating and delivering his people to a new and wonderful place. And then, as is typical in Hebrew literature, There's just going to be a repeat of those same concepts. Verses 9 and 10 say, The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says, I have seen them, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who in this time is considered a god, To Egypt it's the God who sees his people the God Almighty who will deliver his people from the hands of this so-called God Pharaoh do you see what God is doing here he's playing off the names that Moses would have heard used to speak of the God of Israel But Moses is still not convinced because Moses is just like you and me. And so he asks one of those really good questions that maybe he learned to ask when he was a kid. I don't know. So it goes on, it says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses is still not having it. Much like my little friend who wanted to know when God's birthday is. And so it goes on. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? well, what should I say to them then? So God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. And this is when we really are going to start to get into the weeds a little bit. Because this all sounds very, very strange, right? So here's some stuff that you need to know. The the words, the Lord, in your Bible, when they are all capitalized, are a translation of of the name of the God of Israel. They, they symbolize the word in Hebrew, Yahweh. And we use the word Lord in our English translations because in the Jewish tradition, they stopped saying the name of Yahweh when they ran across it in their scriptures, and they just pronounced it instead Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord. And throughout history, we have just kept that tradition going. But it's important that we look at God's actual name because it tells us about who God is. And who God is, it turns out, kind of seems like a riddle. I am who I am. Cool. Thanks. Me too. <laughs> Not really helpful, right? Like, what does that, what does that even mean? But here's the thing, like the English language fails to be capable of embodying this fact that, that Yahweh is a very ambiguous grammatical construction. And I think it's kind of poetic that our words fail to really describe even God's name. But without getting terribly technical, it's impossible to truly discern the tense of these words. So Yahweh itself is simply the verb to be in Hebrew. In this case, he is smashed together twice. And what scholars have argued over for years and years is whether these words are past, present, or future tense. And I think that's really the beauty of it all because I think that it's intentionally ambiguous because God's name can be translated as all of these possibilities. He is who he is. He is who he will be. He will be who he is. He is who he was. He will be who he was, and so on and so forth. And what this means is that the name of God, God's personal name, Yahweh, points to the eternal and unchanging existence of God and God's relationship to his beloved people. God has always been and God will always be. The person who God is, God Almighty, the God who is capable of making and keeping extraordinary promises, as well as the God who sees and hears the plight of his people, will never, ever change. God was, God is, and God will continue to see and respond in power to the messes that God's people find themselves in, even when those messes are self-inflicted. God will be faithfully God for God's people forever. And this is good news for the Hebrew people because, well, they're in a mess right now, and they're going to be in countless messes In the years to come for them. So much mess, in fact, that they would once again, years and years later, find themselves in a place of hopeless desperation. A place where they cried out to God to send a deliverer. A long-awaited Messiah. And that Messiah would come to them in the most unexpected of ways more unexpected than a bush burning on a mountain. You see, God, having seen the suffering of Israel, and indeed the suffering of all of humanity, came in the person of Jesus Christ to remind the world of the great love that he has for them. Jesus wielded the authority and power that could only be ascribed to God Almighty, He gave the blind their sight. He commanded demons out of the afflicted, and he controlled storms. And yet, in the midst of all of that power, he never failed to see those who were suffering. He saw and he showed compassion to those whose lives were lived on the margins, those who found themselves drawing the short straw in the game of life. And when those who were in power saw Jesus acting like God Almighty and the God who sees, when they came and they questioned his identity, he answered them in this way. This is uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Yahweh. Jesus. The physical embodiment. Of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God who was and is and will always be faithful, always present, always radically for his people. And Jesus took that truth to the cross in order to prove how radically for us he is. And so here's where this still matters for us today. Because we live in an age where we are sold solutions to our problems every single day. Our phones and our televisions promise us that if we buy this thing, or if we subscribe to this practice, or this monthly low fee for $5.99, then you will have your problems solved. And while sometimes our human problems are relieved, we do find that we are still spiritually still spiritually broken and it's in these moments these moments when we come face to face with our true longing for hope that extends beyond the temporary that we are challenged and pulled towards the gaze of the god who sees us in that moment and the god who is capable of rearranging our lives out of the deep love for which He has for us This God this Yahweh this Jesus Who came to us once has promised that his presence is always and forever with us and Not just with us But deeply desiring of a relationship with us See Advent the season that we're in now leading up to Christmas is an invitation to submit ourselves to that relationship, to not take for granted the foreverness of God. It's a time when we live in a countercultural way, while the world says, hurry, 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 one day sail, must act now. Jesus says, rest, rest, rest. This thing is free forever. Rest in me. Spend time with me. Hope in me. Be loved by me because I have loved you forever and always. I am love and I have been love as I will always be love. Now, forever, and always. And so with that, I just invite you to take a breath this week. It's heating up, right? Not just outside, like I don't know what happened to winter. But the pressure is starting to mount, right? Like Christmas is in 12 days or something like that. Well, no, 14 days, but there's a weekend in there somewhere, so 12 days. (laughs) Christmas is coming, (laughs) But don't forget to breathe. And when you breathe, make it a moment to rest and to remember that Yahweh, the God who is forever, the God whose name means forever, is forever with you and forever for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have proven yourself to be forever faithful to us, even when we are very far from forever faithful to you. We thank you that when we wander, when we turn a blind eye to your great love for us, or when we claim to love you but turn a blind eye to those whom we have been called to love, That you relentlessly pursue us. That you chase us down. That you find us in the deep, dark places that we tend to try to hide. That you call us out. You call us further and deeper into a relationship with you. Further and deeper into the communal relationship that you have called us to be as your church. And as your people humankind so God we just ask that as we go into this next two weeks that we would fully embody the name Christian that we would fully be little Christs rather than what this world has told us we need to be in these final two weeks that we would find rest in you rather than the, the anxiety and the mess of the, the holiday season that we would remember that yours is the greatest gift to us, your presence here, that you came to dwell among us, and that for us, the greatest gift that we can give is to witness to that in our lives, to be fully present and with those whom we say we love. So God, show us how to live that life this Advent. Show us how to be those kinds of Christmas people. People who breathe in and breathe out the name of the God who is forever with them. Yahweh. It's in your name we pray. Amen.